Amen. Well, as you've made your way over to Matthew chapter 16, uh, this evening we're going to cover verses 24 through 26. Before we get into that, though, I've got a bit of an introduction. Um, I recently heard some, someone say something that kind of bothered me. It was actually not a, not a pastor here, but I was listening to a pastor, and he was giving an altar call, and he said something along, along the lines of this. He said, um, you know, if I get to the end of my life, and I realize that, you know, all of this was wrong, that, you know, there is no Jesus, what have I lost, he said. He says, I haven't lost anything. And then he said, but if you, if you don't believe and you get to the end of your life and you realize that in, in fact is true, well, then you've lost everything. And after I heard that, I was like, oh, there's something about that that really bothers me. I don't, I don't know that I agree with him 100%, maybe 50%. I agree with him 50% with that statement. I agree for the unbeliever who gets to the end of his life and they see Jesus and they realize, wow, I should have devoted my everything to him. They will lose everything. We're going to see in our passage, Jesus even says, you lose your soul. But is that true for the Christian? Is it true for the Christian that it costs us nothing to follow the Lord? Is that a true statement? Um, and that's something, you know, I heard this recently. I've heard it before. I mean, I, we, we hear people say things like that all the time. Is that true? I don't think that is. I don't think that's an accurate teaching of the New Testament. In fact, Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when he was talking about the resurrection and people were saying, well, I don't know if there is a resurrection, he says, listen, if it's only in this life that we hope in Christ, we are the most of all men to be pitied. We are of all men the most pitiable. So Paul is saying, if it's only in this life that we trust in Jesus, then we are to be pitied. Well, why is that? Well, I mean, first off, because obviously we'd be basing our life off of a lie, and, well, that's pretty costly, right? But the second thing is, and, and the biggest thing is, the New Testament teaches that there is a high cost to following the Lord. There is a high cost, and, and we need to count that cost. There's a high cost associated with being a follower of Jesus. Let's just take a look at some of the lives of the first disciples of Jesus, Let's see what Jesus said to them. Uh, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, it says, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. What did they do? It says they left their nets, and they what? And they followed him. Well, what were their nets? Their livelihood. That's how they, that's how they did things like eat food. <laughs> you know, they, they caught fish, they sold fish, and then they were able to buy the things that allowed them to eat and live and, and you know, have a life. And it says they left that. They left it behind. Why? To follow Jesus. That's a pretty high cost. In the verses immediately following, verses 21 through 22, in Matthew 4, it says, Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat, with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. 
So in that instance, we see James and John, they not only leave their nets, they not only leave behind their livelihood, but it says, uh, there's another translation that says they left their father, yeah, it's actually this translation, Uh, they left their father in the boat. They just left them. They were like, wow, this is too good. I I have to follow this. I'm leaving everything behind to follow Jesus. We know later Matthew, the tax collector, he was in his tax collecting booth and Jesus says, follow me and he leaves his tax collecting booth. We see Paul uh, later on. He's in the midst of pursuing the life of a Pharisee. He's persecuting Christians, and he has that experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he forsakes it all, and he follows the Lord. He forsook that life that he was trying so hard to build up. We see Zacchaeus, another tax collector. He was the chief tax collector, and when he comes to Jesus, he says, I'm going to give everything that I have to the poor, and if I've wronged anybody, then I'm going to make it right. That's what Zacchaeus said. And now I'm going to follow you, Lord. There was a cost associated with following Jesus. That's what we see the common theme was for all of these early disciples. They left everything. There was nothing that was too important for them to leave behind to follow Jesus. And that's what the Lord calls of us. Now, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, and you know, we're sitting in a room, we're in a church, and I know that Most of us are following Jesus, and we have counted that cost, but it's good to remind ourselves of these things. Uh, I'm not talking about, you know, we need to work for our salvation. Like, that's not what I'm saying. Please, and I want to just get this out from the outset. I'm not saying that we need to, you know, purchase our salvation or work for our salvation. Um, The Bible's clear. It's a gift of God. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10 It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not as a result of works so that nobody should boast. We know that our salvation, it's not based off of works, but that doesn't mean that there's not a cost associated with it. Um, The moment that we cry out to Jesus for salvation, he redeems us. Literally, he buys us off of the slave block. And we belong to him now. And in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, it says, You've been bought with the price, therefore glorify God in your body. Jesus bought us with his own blood, and we're now his. And because we don't belong to ourselves anymore, we belong to Jesus. It means that we're not here for us. We're not here for our own pleasures. We're not here for our dreams. We're here uh, at the mercy of Jesus. We're here to do his bidding. There's a cost. So we're not saved by our works, but rather as we see the great salvation that the Lord has brought about in our lives, this is the natural response that we surrender everything to the Lord and follow him. And I think in our culture, uh, in many places, and I don't think that this is a a problem here, um, but in many places in our culture, I think that we have a low view of what it means to be a disciple of what it means to be a disciple. Many people will say things like, uh, you know, if you follow Jesus, then he's going to take care of all of your issues. He's going to make you healthy. He's going to make you wealthy. He's going to make you happy. Is that what we see in the New Testament? Do we see that clearly taught by Jesus? No. Years ago, there was a bumper sticker and a t-shirt. I don't know if it's still popular. Um, Uh, Probably not because all of the pastors jumped all over and was like, what? That's not right. But it was a little Adidas symbol. You guys remember that? It was a little Adidas symbol, but instead of saying Adidas, it said, add Jesus. And I think that's the problem. 
I think that's the problem because so many people think, well, I can just add Jesus to the mess of my life and it's going to make everything better, when in fact the Bible tells us Jesus needs to replace everything in your life. Jesus needs to be all-consuming. That's what it means to be a disciple. He's not just simply an addition to the mess that we've already made. And so what did Jesus say about what it means to follow him? Uh, here in verse 24 through 26, just to give some context, um, what had just happened, um, Jesus was just revealed to the disciples as the Christ, right? So uh, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And immediately following that, Jesus told the disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem, he was going to be crucified, and he was going to be killed. And uh, we all know the story. Peter pulls him aside and he's like, not so, Lord. And Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. So it's in this context that we come to these verses. Jesus just explained to the disciples, I'm about to go and I'm going to die. When we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be tortured and they're going to, they're going to end up killing me. And then it's like he immediately goes into this next part and says, and if you want to follow me, then this is what you need to do. If you want to follow me, this is what you need to do. Let's go ahead and read it. It says in verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? Jesus says, discipleship is costly. To follow the Lord, it's going to cost, and you need to count that cost. Just picture yourself with the disciples. Jesus just said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to be killed. And if you want to follow me, then this is what it takes for you. In verse 24, says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He gives three commands. Uh, these are imperative verbs, meaning I command you, if you're going to be a follower, this is what you must do. What must a follower of Jesus do? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. You must deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow. Um, for the believer, these are not just suggestions. For those who, whose desire it is, I do want to go after Jesus, well, these are commands for you. you this is not an opt-out. You know, you can't be like, well, you know, I'm not going to do that, Lord, but I'll do all of the other things. Like, I, I like the forgiveness aspect, and I like the grace and mercy, but I think I'll just keep my life, and I, I'm not going to, you know, deny myself. That doesn't sound fun. I'm not going to take up my cross. That actually sounds painful. Um, and in fact, I'm going to still follow my own ways. If that's what you say, well, then you're not actually a follower of Jesus. You're not a follower of Jesus. So he says, first of all, if anyone desires to come after me, this word desire, it's the purpose of the heart. That's what it literally means. It's the purpose of your heart. If the purpose of your heart, if your will is to come after the Lord and to follow him, the first prerequisite he says, you need to deny yourself. Deny yourself. 
Now, that totally flies in the face of what the world tells us, right? The world, you're not going to find that in the world. You're not going to find anybody in the world saying, hey, you know, you should just deny yourself. What does the world say? The world says, indulge yourself. The world says, you know, do what makes you happy. The world says, uh, follow your heart. Be true to yourself. The world says, you got to look out for number one. But Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself. What's that? Well, self-denial that Jesus taught, it, it doesn't just involve denying yourself of things. It involves denying yourself authority over your own life. Let me say that again. It doesn't only involve denying yourself of things. It involves denying the authority of your life. So that means when you come to Jesus, you relinquish control. You say, I'm not in control anymore, Lord. This is you. It's all about you. We relinquish control to Jesus. Now, why do you think that would be the first thing that Jesus mentions? Why would this be the first thing that he mentions? Well, because this is so not in our nature. So we are sinners. We're born sinners. We don't know what's good for us. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The heart, it's desperately wicked. That's why anytime I hear people say, follow your heart, I'm like, ooh, don't do that. <laughs> don't follow your heart. You know, you would never say to a person, oh, hey, this person, he's, uh, you should really follow him. Uh, he's desperately wicked. Um, he's very deceitful. He's a person that you should follow. We would never say that to anybody. And so be careful when you tell a person to follow your heart because that's essentially what you're telling them. If we follow our hearts, we're, we're following deception. We're following that which is wicked. And so we need to deny ourselves. We need to relinquish the authority in our lives and say, Lord, I know that I'm wicked. Lord, I know, I know that I'm deceitful. I know that I can't even understand my own heart, Lord, so I deny that in my life. I give it to you, Jesus. And not only that, not only are we sinners, do we not know what's good for us, but listen, when we come to Jesus, Uh, an exchange takes place. We're redeemed. Uh, Literally, that means that we are bought by the blood of Jesus and we are his possession now. And so, uh, again, I think I read this earlier, but 1 Corinthians 6.20 tells us, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your bodies. Right? So, uh, we're not here for ourselves anymore. We're not here for our own passions or desires or pleasures. We're here for Jesus. The question to ask is not what I want, Lord, but what do you want? Not what I will, Lord, but what do you will for my life? We're here to please him. And so we deny ourselves. We deny those sinful impulses. Uh, We deny the authority that we once tried to claim for our own lives and say, Jesus, it's all you now. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, If you want to be my disciple, there's this very first thing, and this is very important, deny yourself. You're not going to hear that anywhere else but in the Bible. The world's not going to tell you that, but this is what must be done. Deny yourself. But the second thing he says, and I'm sure once he got to this part, the disciples were like, excuse me? (laughs) Come again? He says, take up your cross. 
Take up your cross. So not only are you to deny yourself, but you're to take up your cross. When we think of the cross today, um, you know, it's become a symbol of redemption and salvation and forgiveness and um, all of those amazing truths that, that we hold dear to our hearts, right? And I'm not speaking against that. It's, it's great. It should be those things. Um, but when somebody in the first century heard these words spoken, they had an immediate picture in their heads. They had a picture of a criminal condemned to death carrying his, his own cross up a hill to be crucified on. That's what they thought of. When Jesus said, take up your cross, they didn't think of all the things that we would think of, the redemption and forgiveness and restoration and peace with God and all of the things that the cross means to us. They thought of a guy who was condemned to death. It's like Jesus was saying, hey, come take a walk down death row with me. Let's let's go walk to the electric chair together. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, then you are condemning yourself to death. Take up your cross and follow me. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us? I, I definitely don't think Jesus was saying, so, you know, if you want to follow me, then you need to go physically nail yourself to a cross and, and go die. Like, you know, we, we wouldn't be here, <laughs> right? There wouldn't be a Calvary Chapel Lynchburg. We would have been crucified long ago. <laughs> or we would have all said, no, I don't think so. Um, so what does it mean? I also don't think it's referring to like little irritations in life. Uh, you hear this all the time. Like people will say, you know, I lost my keys this morning and I guess that's just my cross to bear today. <laughs> or I stubbed my toe and, um, you know, I'm just bearing the cross for Jesus. I don't think that's it either. I don't think that's it either. Bearing your cross means that you're dying to yourself. You're bearing Christ's reproach and crucifying the world and the flesh as we follow him in obedience. It's a quote from Warren Wiersbe. He says, bearing the cross means dying to self, bearing Christ's reproach, crucifying the world and the flesh as we follow him in obedience. Jesus said before, you need to deny yourself. Well, with take up your cross, he's taking it a step further. Uh, it's not just simply that you deny yourself, but, you know, secretly inside, you, you'd really rather do this thing. To deny yourself means that you're literally putting your old passions, your old sinful self to death, your old wants, your old feelings, your dreams, who you were as a person. That person needs to die. That person needs to be no more. Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul said this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. When I came to Christ, uh, who I was who I was before I came to the Lord is crucified. They are no longer. And we who, uh, who we were before Jesus, that person needs to die daily so that less and less of us is seen and more and more of Jesus is seen. That's what he says here. It says, it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live, I'm living by faith in the Son of God. Paul, it's like he's saying, that old Paul, that persecutor Paul, that guy died. 
That guy died on the road to Damascus, and now I'm living by faith in the Son of God, and Christ is living his life through me. The person that I was before I came to Jesus, that person needs to die. That's what Jesus is saying. That, that person needs to be no more. That all of the, the passions and sinful nature and wants and dreams, it's put to death at the cross of Christ. And the moment that I came to Jesus, I was crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I, I lose that sense of personal identity. That's what we lose when we come to Christ. Now it's Christ in me. Who, what do you identify as? I identify as Christ living in me. <laughs> I identify as a Christian. That's what it means to take up your cross. You know, Megan and I, my wife, um, we both got saved in high school. Uh, actually, we were both sophomores. We lived across town from each other. We didn't know each other, um, but we both got, it's kind of funny, we got saved like within, I think, a month or two of each other. Um, out of, actually, out of the same church and same youth group, but we didn't meet until like years later. Anyway, there is a point to this story. Um, before, uh, before we came to the Lord, I mean, obviously, we lived in the world, and um, you know, we did the things of the world, and Megan has come to me many times and has said things like, Daniel, I'm so sorry, like, for the person that I was, like, and I, I did these different things, and I always tell her, Megan, I never met that girl. I didn't ever meet that person. I don't know who that was, but I know who you are. You're a new creature in Christ, and who you once were has been crucified at the cross of Christ, and so we don't need to feel the guilt and condemnation and shame of the sins that we once walked in because it's been crucified at the cross of Christ, and now we're new creatures. We're new creatures, and we can all say amen, hallelujah. When we say take up your cross, when Jesus told us to take up your cross, he's saying that person needs to die. That person needs to be no more. But you know what? I don't think that we should uh, say Jesus wasn't saying you don't go die. Because I, quite frankly, for his followers, you read about the apostles, um, every single one of them, except I think John, was killed for their faith. Every single one of them was martyred. And so I think that Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, this is what could happen to you. Uh, Matthew 10, 22, Jesus says, you're going to be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures till the end will be saved. So it's as if Jesus is saying, yeah, your old man needs to be crucified, but at the same time, the world is going to hate you, and even if they crucify you, are you willing to walk through that with me? Because if you're not, you can't be my disciple. You can't be my disciple. Take up your cross, your old self dies, but being ready to physically take up that cross to face persecution and humiliation and shame for the sake of being his disciple. And so we're to deny ourselves, we're to take up our cross, and what? Follow. Follow him. This is the third command. Again, I want to remind you, these are not suggestions. These are commands. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Follow me. There's a lot that's wrapped up in those two words. Um, 
What does it mean to follow Jesus? I mean, we can state the obvious. It means to follow his commands, follow his, his teachings, his, his way of life, right? But I think as we saw before, we can really hone in on what it means to follow him when we look at those early disciples. What did they do? They forsook all to follow the Lord. They forsook everything. That no matter what it costs, we follow the Lord. No matter what he asks of us, we follow the Lord. Even if it means that we have to take up a physical cross and go be crucified upon it, we follow the Lord. Even if we have to endure humiliation and shame and persecution, we follow the Lord. And, you know, in America, we have really, we've really been blessed, honestly, that we have not faced persecution And, you know, I I love what Troy says. This is not the norm for us. This is not the norm for Christians throughout history. It's not been the norm uh, that we haven't faced um, persecution. But, you know, I've just been thinking so much this year about how quickly things changed in our lives, how quickly things changed for us. Who would have thought that we'd be sitting in a sanctuary like this with our chairs separated and, um, and we're all wearing face masks? I'm not speaking against those things, but I'm just saying, who, who would have thought that that would take place? How quickly things can change. And I think that we, we each need to be prepared in our own hearts of, Lord, no matter what happens, I'm going to follow you. Lord, no matter what takes place, I'm going to follow you. It, it doesn't matter what comes my way. It doesn't matter if, doesn't matter if persecution hits the church. It, it doesn't change my resolve to follow Jesus. It doesn't change my resolve to be your disciple, Lord. I'm going to follow you. Everything in life should take a back seat to following Jesus. Everything in life should take a back seat to following Jesus. We leave everything behind. But there would be nothing more important to us than following the Lord. Peter and Andrew, they left their nets in the water. James and John, they left their nets and their dad sitting in a boat because they said, there's something about this guy. I have to follow him. I cannot not follow him. There should be no earthly relationship that would cause us to question whether or not we follow the Lord. You know, Jesus talked about this in a lot of different places. In Matthew 10, verse 37 through 39, he says, he who loves father or mother or more than me is not worthy of me. I remember the first time being a baby Christian that I heard that verse and I was like, come again? (laughs) What? He says, he who does not love father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not love son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says, if you love your mom or dad more than me, you're not worthy. Your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. If there's any relationship in your life that you care about more than your relationship with me, you're not worthy of me. He was a little bit more... um, Well, I'll just read it. In Luke 14, 26, he says this, says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, obviously, 
I don't think that Jesus was saying that we really do need to hate our parents. This is hyperbole. So it's like a shock and awe statement, right? Like we can point to many other passages in the Scripture that, you know, basically state we should love our family more as a result of our faith in Christ, right? Um, So I don't think that Jesus is saying you need to actually go and hate them, but what he is saying is that in comparison to your love for Jesus, every other relationship should look like hate. That's how much you should love the Lord. Um, That it wouldn't matter if anybody is standing between you and Jesus. I'm going to follow the Lord. It wouldn't matter what your parents say. It wouldn't matter what your wife says. You follow Jesus. He's using drastic words here to show how deep our commitment to the Lord should really be. Um, So there should be no relationship. There should be no family ties that that would... tie us down from following the Lord. You know, um, back in 2015, Megan and I were just sensing the Lord changing up our lives a little bit, and we were living in and um, around Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we felt like the Lord was telling us to pack up our bags and move to Lynchburg um, for a number of reasons that I'm not really going to get into right now, but we just kind of felt like a strong pull from the Lord, this is what you need to do. And you know what the one thing was that just choked me up every time I thought about it was, what about my family? You know, our parents live there. Um, I thought, what about my mom and dad? What about my brother and his wife? And we're so close uh, to, to their three daughters. We love them so much. And every time I thought about um, their three daughters, it just would really, like, get choked up and, like, Lord, you really want me to leave this? Like, I don't want to miss. I don't want to miss them growing up. I love them so much. And the Lord used these verses in Matthew chapter 10. You guys ever have that where the Lord is speaking to you and he just allows a set of verses to show up over and over again? Well, this is what happened to me. Everywhere I turned, it was like the Lord was saying, if you love father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you love son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. As if if the Lord was saying, Daniel, I know you love them. I know you care about them, but do you love me more? Do you love me more? And when it's put to me like that, what's the answer? Obviously, yes, Lord. I do love you more. And so I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. There's cost involved in being a disciple of Jesus. There's cost involved in this. To follow Jesus means that Everything in life takes a back seat to him. Everything in life. And that we now have this singular focus. I'm following the Lord. That's the most important thing about me. I'm a follower of Jesus. All of my hopes, all of my dreams, all of my aspirations, um, they can take a back seat because I'm following the Lord. And whatever he has for me, That's what I'm going to do because I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow the Lord. Paul put it like this in Romans 12. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That's your reasonable service, Paul says, that we would put our whole being into following the Lord, to be that living sacrifice, crying out, Lord, not my will, not what I want, Lord, but what you want from me. I surrender. We sang that out a lot this evening. I surrender, Lord. I surrender, Lord. 
And that's the place that the Lord would have us, to be in that place of surrender. It doesn't cost me nothing. It doesn't cost me nothing. There is cost involved. In fact, it costs everything. Jesus says you need to lose everything. Lose who you are. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. And that's why Paul said, hey, if it's only in this life that we're trusting Christ, we are of all men to be the most pitied. Why? Because it, it means that we're losing everything. <laughs> we're losing who we are. Jesus bids us to come and die. Jesus bids us to forsake ourselves, to forsake the world, to leave everything behind, to follow him no matter what the consequences might be for us. At this point, some of you guys might be thinking, well, Daniel, (laughs) that's depressing. (laughs) Why in the world would somebody want to follow Jesus then? If that's the truth... And I believe it is. If this is the truth about what Jesus said, why would anybody want to follow him? Um, Well, I said all of what I said before to say this, that the benefits of following Jesus far outweigh any cost involved on our part. (laughs) The benefits of following Jesus far outweigh any cost associated with being one of his disciples. Um, This is what Jesus goes on to explain in verses 25 and 26. He says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus says, if you desire to save your life, you will lose it. Um, Actually, that's the same word, desire. He said in verse 24, if anyone desires to come after me, well, same word, he's repeating himself. He's like he's saying, but if you desire the things of the world, meaning if the purpose of your heart is to follow after the things of this life, if the purpose of your heart uh, is to promote yourself and to find life, he says what? You're actually going to lose it if that's the desire of your heart. But, Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What's that? Well, that's... If you lose your life, which I think that we established the case beforehand um, in the first part of the sermon that that's what Jesus calls us to do, you lose your life, right, when you come to him. Uh, (laughs) You deny yourself, you take up your cross, you follow Jesus. He says, when you lose your life in this way, that's when you actually find life. When you lose your life like this, that's when you find it. That's when you find what true life is all about. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He says, I've come to give you abundant life. I've come to give you life in this life. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that uh, anybody who's not a believer in Jesus is dead in their trespasses and sins. They're actually dead spiritually dead, cut off from God. But when we come to Jesus, he gives us life. We become new creatures and we have life in this life. It's when we come to Jesus that we experience true life, true joy, true peace, true satisfaction, true real meaning and purpose. And why is that? Well, I would say the main thing is that we're brought into a right relationship with the Lord. Amen? 
We're brought into a right relationship with him through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. When we think about the cost of being his disciples, we must never forget the great cost for Jesus that he paid to make sure that we could be called his disciples in the first place. It it wasn't uh, just a simple thing that he did. Jesus, he came to earth as a man. He was crucified. The sin of the world was placed on his shoulders. It says in Isaiah uh, 53 that it pleased the Father to bruise him. Iniquities of the world were placed upon him. He faced the punishment that we deserved. Why? So that one day we could call upon Jesus and be called his disciples and be called his followers. We must never forget. As we think about, there is a lot of cost involved in being a disciple, but how much did it cost him to make sure that we could be called his disciples? He did it. He did it so that he could call you his own because he loves us, because he cares for us, because he wanted relationship with us, because he wanted to give us abundant life. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. When we come to Jesus, we receive the forgiveness of sins. Um, We're no longer under the wrath of God. We have peace with our creator. He's redeemed us. He's brought us into a right relationship with himself, so much so that the Bible goes so far as to say that the Father has adopted us as his children. Um, In Ephesians 1, verse 7, I think it's verse 7, it says that he predestined us to adoption as sons. In Romans 8, verse 16 and 17, it says, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. What's that? that that's saying, <laughs> you're not just forgiven. You're, God didn't just redeem you and say, okay, now you can go stand in the corner for all of eternity. No, God says, I'm beckoning you into my very family. I'm adopting you as my sons. So much so it says here in Romans chapter 8 that we are joint heirs with Christ. What does that mean? That means that the inheritance that Christ receives is the same inheritance that we receive. Now, if that wasn't scripture, I'd say, you're off your rocker. <laughs> Why would God do something like this? Why would the Lord do something like this? Why would the Lord go so far as to say, you're now my children? You're now my children. And so listen, is there cost involved in being a disciple? Oh yeah, it's high. But it pales in comparison to what we receive as in becoming his disciples, becoming children of God becoming joint heirs of Christ. And what is that inheritance? What do we inherit? Would you guys turn with me to Revelation? Revelation chapter 21. This is after the tribulation. Uh, this is after um, uh, this is after the um, great white throne judgment, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Revelation 21, it says this, verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. 
Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. That's saying, the dwelling place of God. Where God dwells, that's with man. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall what? He who overcomes shall inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. When we think of being co-heirs with Christ, when we think of everything that it means to be a disciple of the Lord, and that we're now his children, and as Romans 8, verse 16 and 17 declare that we're co-heirs with Christ, this is what we inherit. This is our inheritance. We get to inherit a place where there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears. There's only joy, peace, satisfaction in the presence of the Lord. And do you know what the best thing about heaven is? The best thing about heaven is that's where God is. We get to know him. We get to be with him uh, face to face. We have a living, eternal hope. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 4, it tells us that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That's what we have to look forward to. We have a place in heaven. Jesus said, I go prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And so that's where I'm going. You have a spot. And so Jesus said, listen, if you're, if you're all about just trying to find life in this life, you're actually going to lose it. But if you lose yourself, you deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow me, you can be my disciple. And this is what it means to be my disciple. You get life in this life. You get eternal life. You have an inheritance that is incorruptible, imperished, reserved in heaven for you that will never, ever fade away. And we get to be in that place for all of eternity where Jesus is. Man, that's amazing. You know, when Paul was writing in Philippians, I think it's Philippians 3, he was talking about his former life. And he said, you know, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was a persecutor of, of Christians. And he says, but all of these things, all of those things that I was trying to amass for myself, I count them as rubbish. Why? That I may know Christ, that I might know him, that I might be conformed to his resurrection. And so is the cost high in following Jesus? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is high. But compared to what we gain, the cost is minuscule. Paul said in Romans 8.18 that I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. It's like he's saying, it's not even on the same playing field. 
not even worthy to be compared. Like you can't, you can't compare those two things with, with the glory that will be revealed to us and the trials and hardships of this life. They're on two separate playing fields. It's not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us on the day that we see Jesus face to face. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Jim Elliott, I'm sure many of you guys are familiar with Jim Elliott. He was a missionary to the Alka Indians. Um, and he and uh, some of his friends, they ended up getting martyred. And his wife, Elizabeth, wrote um, an, a biography about him. Um, and in it, uh, she just copied, like, just a ton of his journals. Like, the, the man journaled like nobody's business. Um, you read through that, and I'm like, my goodness, he must have just been writing nonstop. One of the most famous things that he was known as saying, and his wife found this in his journal after he died, he said this, he is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let me say that again. He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What does he mean? Well, here's the thing. If we try to keep this life, if we try to, you know, seek after the things of this life, we're eventually going to lose it. doesn't matter who you are, right? There's a statistic out there. 10 out of 10 people are going to die, <laughs> right? Um, it doesn't matter if you're the beggar on the street or if you're uh, the billionaire living in the penthouse. It doesn't matter. We're all going to face our mortality one day. And so Jim Elliott says, you're not a fool if you give that up because you can't keep it anyway. And when you do, you're going to gain something that you can never lose. What's that? That's a relationship with Jesus. That's an inheritance that's incorruptible imperishable, reserved in heaven for you. We can't keep this life. We're all going to face our own mortality. But whoever desires to save his life, they're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus is saying, you can, you can go get rich. You can go get possessions. You can amass things to yourself. Um, but what, what really is the profit to you? What really is that going to matter? You can't take it with you. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? You know, it's a rhetorical question, but obviously the answer is there's not a lot of profit in that. There's not a lot of profit in that. In Matthew 19, Verses 16 through 22, Jesus has his encounter with the rich young ruler. And we're all familiar with that, right? Jesus, uh, this guy approaches Jesus and he says, you know, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, well, you can go keep the commandments. And the guy says, well, I've kept all of those. And he says, okay, well, um, you know, is there anything specific? And Jesus says, well, you know, do not steal, honor your father and mother. He lists a couple of the Ten Commandments. He says, I've done all of these things from my youth. What else must I do? And Jesus says this to him in verses 21 and 22 of Matthew 19. He says, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when the young man... 
heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Now, if this man had become a disciple of Jesus, uh, he would have signed up for a life of self-denial. He would have signed up for a life of forsaking all, um, selling his possessions. Um, He would have signed up for a life, quite possibly, of persecution. And instead, he chose a life where he could get whatever he wanted. Um, He chose that life of comfort and ease. And I really hope that this guy came back to Jesus at some point. I don't know about you guys. I just, I feel for him. Um, But let's assume for a second that he never did. Let's assume that he went away, he enjoyed his life of comfort and ease, he amassed all of the riches to himself, he never wanted anything in his life. Did he make the right choice? I think we'd all say, no. No, we didn't. Why? Because what does it matter if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? What does it matter if you amass all of the riches to yourself and you actually lose your soul? Listen, the Lord is looking for people. He's looking for his followers to throw their entire being into actually following him. To throw everything that they are, all of their ambition, all of their pursuit, all of their affection would be placed into this this one crucial statement, these two words, follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Why wouldn't we be radical in our walk for the Lord? Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we forsake everything and follow the Lord? We can't keep this life. We can't keep the things in this life. So why wouldn't we throw everything that we are into following Jesus? And listen, we're going to get to that finish line one day. And for those of us that chose to follow the Lord, that's where Jesus is, and he's going to welcome us into his kingdom and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy and peace of my rest. He's going to give us that inheritance that's incorruptible, imperishable. And on that day that we get there, I don't think that we're ever going to look back and say, man, I really wish I had some more me time. Man, I really wish I made more time for myself. I think that we're going to say, why didn't I go harder after the Lord? Why didn't I serve harder? Why didn't I, why didn't I put more energy and effort and devotion into following the Lord? Why didn't I share the gospel more? Why didn't I follow Jesus? Why didn't I forsake this sin? Because when we get to that place, man, the things of this world, it's just going to seem like just a blink. In comparison with eternity, it's just going to be like that. I think that we're going to look back and we're not going to be, you know, oh man, why didn't I do less things for the Lord? It's going to be, I wish I had done more. I wish I had done more. And so let's go do it. Let's go be those who follow the Lord with everything in us. Every day, every day, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow the Lord. These are the commands that Jesus said. If you want to be my follower, this is what you must do. And these are things that take place continually in our lives. And so let's go do it. Let's go follow the Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that, Lord, it is even possible for us to be your disciples. Lord, I thank you so much for the price that you paid for us, um, Lord, that you are willing to give all. And Lord, is. As that hymn says, Lord, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, Lord. We, we all find ourselves in that place. Lord, you gave every ounce. And I just thank you so much for that, Lord. 
I thank you, Lord, that you cared enough about us that you came to get us and redeem us and to make us your own, Lord. And I, I just pray that we would be fully devoted. Lord, that it wouldn't be a work of our flesh. It wouldn't be a work of us trying more, but it would be a work of us just simply surrendering our wills to yours, Lord. To follow you, to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, Lord. 